You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 158 with Noelle Cordo. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, I am super excited to have Noelle on the show today. We are going to talk about how in today's age with social media, we can actually feel lonely. You know, I feel like it's so easy to replace social media with actual friends and people in our lives. And if it be, you know, how many likes our pictures got or us just liking other people's pictures, it's very easy to think that we're actually connecting with others. And Noelle is a coach and she kind of just talks about the brain chemistry of how all of that works in regards to you know, talking to people in real life versus doing things on social media. And I found it to be really interesting. And I hope that it inspires you to start hanging out with people more, making real connections and seeing how it can change your life. Noelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker on travel. I am a travel agent and I just like asking my guests what their favorite vacation spot is and why. Oh, hands down, it would be Cannon Beach in Oregon. Uh, I want to go there. It's on my list. (laughs) It's so peaceful and it's so beautiful and it's a fantastic place to join, I think, with family and friends Mm. of all ages and run around the surf and... Yeah. You know, uh, my friend lives in Oregon and so she can get there easily. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I want to get out there. I want to go there. And um, it just is gorgeous. And I sometimes think that the Oregon coast gets neglected or forgotten compared to the California coast. And um, I think people don't realize how beautiful it is over there. So um, I'm going to get to this where, where you're from, but are you from Oregon? I'm not. I'm okay. not. I live in Philadelphia. Oh, I'm from okay. New Jersey and I work in Los Angeles. Gotcha. And is that how did how did you or what made you decide let's go to Canaan Beach? Oh, my cousin is a winemaker and okay. he um he got married this summer in in the in the valley there where all the wineries are, which was just gorgeous. And my husband and I decided to extend our stay and drive Mm. out to the coast and spend some time, just the two of us on the beach. It was really beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, let's jump into the show. Um, okay. So we just asked where you're from. So do you live in New Jersey and you work in LA or do you live in LA and work in LA? I, I grew up in New Jersey. I live in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia, and, and you work yep. in LA. <laughs> and I work in LA. Okay, <laughs> okay, gotcha. So um, you said you were married, and um, I, you know, I want to jump into where or how you got to where you are today. So how about you just give us a little bit of, um, you know, what your background is and, um, you know, what, what path got you to where you are today? Yeah, life story, greatest hits, right? Um, so I'm an accidental CEO. This was not what I thought my life was going to look like. I never imagined I'd be bi-coastal. I never imagined I'd be running a company and being a public person. And I love it, by the way. It's the best job in the world. I love my company. I love my coaches. Um, I got divorced when I was 29. Mm. And that was really the big life upset for me. I had this whole big plan for what my life was going to look like with, 
you know, the, my ex-husband and kids and, you know, picket fence and everything. And then all of a sudden at 29, I was alone and I had to start all over again and figure out how I was going to do it. And from there, I got really interested in other women and how, um, being a woman really impacts the way that we show up in society, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about our skill sets, our capacity to make money, our careers, ourselves as mothers, ourselves as partners. And as I got deeper and deeper into studying the female psyche, I decided I wanted to be a coach. And I wanted to help other women dig out of life situations that were similar to mine. And so I began training as a coach. And then I went back to graduate school and then I went on for a PhD. And while I was kind of in the middle of that process, I met my co-founder, John Kim, who goes by the angry therapist. He's out in Los Angeles. That's mm. why I'm oriented Got in it. that direction. And I started writing for him uh, as a feminist coach. And we built our life coaching company together slowly over the years and it was fun. We were building this company because people wanted to become life coaches, but it's really hard to do it by yourself. And I'm all about community. I couldn't do it without my community in life every day. And so we built our company based on community and bringing people together to share resources, to share skills, to share information, and to legitimately actually help each other in life. And um, that's where it all began. I ended up leaving my PhD in order to take over the company. I've been doing it ever since. And it's, it's my best life for sure. So what do you mean that you left your PhD? I was at the tail end of oh. my PhD and wow. I was um, about to go into dissertation and mm. the company was growing right alongside of, of me. Actually, it was, it was kind of a plant that outgrew its pot and John has his own business. I had my own coaching practice. I was on track to become a doctored sex therapist. And I still love that work. I might go back to it one day, but I'm having too much fun now. Um, and if I didn't leave my studies and, and take over the company, it would have died. Mm, yeah, I can see that. But wow, what a hard decision that might have felt. You know, I mean, that's a lot of time. And then to just be like, hey, I got to jump ship and go, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a brave thing to do, because I feel like a lot of people would actually be like, you know, when I started this, I'm going to just end with it. Um, even if that wasn't the right decision, you know, because they're just like, well, you know, I've already invested all of this. And so the fact that you kind of were like, you know what, I need to go this way, um, says a lot. And so I'm glad that you're happy with your decision. And, um, you, you know, we're going to jump into this a little bit more, but how about you share with us a little bit like on how, um, the, the importance of talking to women about being lonely, like how did that come up for you? Like as a coach, like, is, is that like, does that just come over time that you just kept realizing this keeps popping up, you know, this is what's happening. Um, or did you know that you kind of wanted to dive down this rabbit hole and kind of figure out how can you help people in regards to being lonely? It evolved as I grew up and, you know, as I became, an adult, the world around me really started to change. And coming from a community-based perspective with our company and how we train coaches started to inform it because I had a lot of questions. You know, why are people so scared? Why are people so stuck? 
why are women especially, you know, terrified of building businesses, of responsibility, of, you know, pushing out into the world in, you know, as you pointed out, really risky ways like I did. And what it came down to was this disintegration of traditional communities. When I was young, I remember my mom's friends would come over and they'd sit at the kitchen table and they'd have a cup of tea. And when the tea kettle came out, that was kind of, you know, that was my clue to <laughs> scoot out of the kitchen because the grown-ups had something serious to talk about. And it was mm. something that was really important. And so the the conversations around lives, around problem solving took place at the table. That doesn't happen anymore. No, Um, It doesn't happen for me. It doesn't happen for others. We've moved into a digital age where we're connected to people Mm vis-a-vis technology. And that breakdown in the everyday interpersonal exchanges started doing something to us as a society. And that's where I started asking questions and doing the research to figure out, okay, you know, as a coach practitioner, I want to coach people to become more integrated in society, to have fuller lives, to have more connected lives, what do I need to tell them? What mm. is the answer? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you think about it too, like people just jump on FaceTime or whatever, you know, and, and they're just kind of like, yeah. And it's the same, right? Like their brains are going to think that's the same. And it's better than nothing, right? So I think, I think people fall into that trap that they're like, well, it's better than what you would have had before if you didn't have FaceTime or anything that where you can kind of see, especially when you can see the other person. But like you're saying, like actually having people over to your house on a normal basis, I mean, that is very not the norm today, right? Like it is super not the norm. When you said that, I was kind of like, you know, having a hard time picturing how many people actually do that. Um, I, and, and it's not coming to my head. Um, so, I mean, I do, I, I'm part of a, a Bible study and then there, we have small groups through our churches and stuff like that. And that's probably the closest thing that I would run into. But just thinking about as friends, as moms, as a girlfriends and stuff like that, like coming together like that and making the time. Now I want to ask, did your mom have this like on a, was she consistent with it? And was it like weekly or was it like monthly or just scattered? I'm curious. Yeah. Well, you know, think about life before cell phones. You had right. your house phone and, you know, there was a time, you know, when there, there weren't even answering machines. So if you called somebody and they didn't pick up, <laughs> yeah. you had to go out of your house and find <laughs> them, right? You're like, hello. And, yeah. And it, it was, it was really, um, on a weekly routine basis. My That's mom nice. had, you know, several friends that were her good girlfriends and, she had poker night and after school, there were one or two women that would just always come over and sit mm. at the kitchen table and have a cup of tea and it. talk about life. Yeah. I really love it. It's kind of actually inspiring me. You know, I was thinking about doing something like this and then I kind of put it on the back burner um, and just having this conversation, it's just coming back to me like, no, you just need to do this. Like you just need to do it, you know, but life happens or you kind of just, um, even though it doesn't sound scary, right? Obviously I would be inviting people that I like and I know, but there is this, you know, putting yourself out there, you know, and the uh, vulnerability of it and getting something going. And I don't know, it can sometimes just stop you in your tracks of doing stuff, even though it's been on your mind and it ties back into social media where you can just easily like a photo. There's no, 
there's no fear in that, right? Like you're just kind of like, 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 and you can see how easy it is to get sucked into that versus actually having people over your house, having real conversations, people are in front of you. And, um, so you just have my mind going, but, um, yeah. I'm gonna, so go I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think you brought up a really, really important point. So why do you feel fear? about that exchange. I don't know. <laughs> That's what's it's weird. You. And it's a social phenomenon and it's not your fault. Thank you. It's a social <laughs> phenomenon and it's not your fault. So, you know, when we were little, it was the pre-cell phone age and we thought nothing of running outside and playing with our the neighborhood yeah. kids. And that's where you learned social engagement. That's where you learned the rules. That's where you learned how to connect with others. Even kids today, you know, I look at my 12-year-old nieces, they have cell phones. And when they're out playing, there's that cell phone in the pocket and there's this divide between them and others. Mm. And it creates this fear and isolation. So let me explain a little bit about how the brain and body works with isolation. And it might start to make a little bit more sense where this fear feeling is coming from. So isolation, the feeling of isolation itself is actually an evolutionary trait. Humans are by definition, tribal creatures. We're social creatures. We're herd creatures, similar to a herd of cattle. We need to be around other humans in order to really actualize our full potential. With the integration of technology in the way that it exists, We've become separate from our herd. And what that does is twofold. So number one, we feel these feelings of fear and loneliness and isolation. And that is a signal to us to get back with our herd. But of course, no one's talking about this. No one's saying, you know, hey, that's an evolutionary trait. That's a signal that you need to go yeah. integrate with other humans. You yeah. don't know. Or, no. you know, digital marketers don't want us to know that. Trust me. They're not so, saying, go to your herd. Go. <laughs> no, they're not. They're saying, how about these Facebook ads? Click yeah. on them. Um, <laughs> Buy this so, t-shirt. <laughs> you know, exactly. Buy the t-shirt. You'll feel better. Um <laughs> So, you know, that's, that's happened. That's a fact. And, and we have been subject to it just as much as we've been participating in it. And no one's really up until this time kind of been stepping back and saying, well, what's the cost? Mm. So what ends up happening is this interesting psychological phenomenon. So think about the herd of cattle. If one of the cows falls behind and is diseased, it is in the interest of the herd for that cow to stay behind right? So that cow starts to experience another psychological phenomenon where it isolates further, where it starts to scan. And this is what humans do. They start to scan, remain isolated and see risk and fear in social interactions and exchanges, just like you mentioned. Mm. So it's not you, it's neurobiology Combined with technology, combined with 2019. Mm, That is interesting. That's that's where we're at. So those feelings are normal, they're natural, they're real. And when somebody feels lonely, the further they push into loneliness, the more they're going to feel afraid to actually get out there and integrate with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see how that happens when people just keep isolating themselves. And for me, it's a little bit more of... 
Um, also, I will say that like I'm introverted in the sense of that's where I get my energy. So for me, I have to push because I don't have that natural extroverted like, hey, let's hang out with like lots of people and do all this stuff. And I'm always looking at my friends that are like that. And I can see how it's so much easier for them too to kind of just like let people come on over and do all that stuff. And it's totally easy. And um, but for me, I really am trying to push myself to kind of step out of that a little bit more, especially because we are just in general, more isolated in the sense of the social media and stuff like that. And I don't, and I have two young girls, so I don't want them to see that. And so um, I think that's where the fear comes in that that's not my natural personality, but I need, I have that need and want. And if I'm not seeing it somewhere else, then it comes down to, then you need to create it yourself, you know? And so that's where I think it gets scary too. Cause I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this. Like nobody else is. Yes. And, <laughs> and that's so brave of you. And it's so brave of you to face it. And it, and it's so, you know, important to be talking about this stuff. I think I can make your life a little bit easier. Okay. It doesn't <laughs> have to be grand sweeping sure. gestures, yeah. you know, in order to get the chemical benefit that you need, the psychological benefit that you need, you can rely on what are called micro moments mm. of human connection. Okay. So micro moments are small everyday exchanges. And when I coach people on this, and when I train coaches on this, this is the way we do it. We don't say, you know, hey, you need to throw a dinner party. No, mm. rather I'd suggest, how about you go to Starbucks right. and buy a coffee for the person behind you in line? Mm. Yeah. How about you make eye contact with someone and tell them you love their shoes? Yeah. The chemical benefit that you'll get from those kind of vulnerable and altruistic micro moments of exchanges will actually produce the same um, neurobiological conditions that you experience when you love someone. Oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, and you get these little bubbles, these little boosts of feel-good hormones Mm -hmm. that open you up to expanded connection because your brain and your body starts to say, wow, this feels good. I just told somebody they looked great. I had a really nice response. I bought somebody a coffee and they felt great. And it goes on exponentially until we all start to open up just a little bit more. Yeah. And I can see how that does make an impact because, you know, when I have found myself doing those little things, you do feel better doing it, even though there's, there, it's just such a small thing. So now knowing that really does make an impact, hopefully people will do that so they can start getting little, you know, drops of dopamine hits and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's really good stuff. And, you know, the important thing, you know, if you're talking to your girls about this stuff is, is, you know, why does this work? Why is it important? Mm. And it's the vulnerability combined with altruism because we're controlling for a positive response. If you're isolated and you're scanning for threats with social interaction, the best way to get a positive response is to give something to someone else. Mm. Yes. And and especially without the expectation of something coming back. 100%. Yes. 100%. Altruism. Yes. Yeah. That is a really good point. And because I think it is so easy to just give 
in order to like, what am I going to get back? Which then I think really brings misery because, you know, you don't know what you're going to get back. And if you're only doing things based off of a response, you could very much be disappointed, which then I feel like could push you even more to being isolated, you know, to kind of be like, yeah, this is why I should be lonely. (laughs) Yes. So what you just described are the exact conditions that social media sets up and why we're all feeling miserable and lonely. Let me break it down for you. So when you post a picture on social media, Mm -hmm. your expectation and hope is for validation Mm -hmm. that comes in masked, disguised in the form of, hey, this now counts as social engagement. Not true. It's not actually social engagement, but we want the validation. We want the likes. Right. Every time we get a Facebook like or an Instagram like or an email or a direct message or a Facebook message or a text message, you get a hit of dopamine. Yes. And that dopamine feeds your brain and feels really, really, really good. So a lot of people are spending a lot of their time trying to show up on social media in ways that will give them that dopamine hit. What happens when you actually interact with a real live other human, like buying somebody a cup of coffee in Starbucks, you get the dopamine hit that's also followed by a serotonin regulator. Mm. And that serotonin regulator is really important because it completes the process. If you get the dopamine hit without the serotonin regulator, you're stuck in a sense of anticipation, wanting another hit. You never feel truly satisfied. Mm. But you so you don't and you wouldn't feel that so much in person, right? You would like, feel the serotonin regulator in person, yeah. But you won't. But but you won't need that other hit, is what you're saying. Um, exactly. Okay. You'll walk away from the exchange feeling completely satisfied, and that's where you can probably see where people just stay on social media for hours and hours because it's, and hours and hours, it's like because they just are keep waiting, waiting for the hit, and it just never comes. So they get stuck mm-hmm. in this loop. They get stuck in the loop and then they're comparing themselves to others and saying, well, you know, so-and-so's picture of her vacation got 150 likes (laughs) and here I am with 15. And what does that say about me? What does that say about my place in the world? And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody would be a lot better off going out to a coffee house (laughs) and making eye contact and complimenting strangers. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you about the social media. So do you, how, so in regards to, you know, you're on social media and it can be a great platform. It can be a great tool. Um, but what do you, what do you suggest or what do you want people to walk away from in regards to, okay, so you can still have the social media and stuff, but is your, is your main point that we really just need to probably stop putting so much, you know, energy into social media or getting validation from it and really start turning that around and actually interacting with people in real life? Both. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I come from a complete anti-shame based perspective. So, you know, if you're listening to me, the last (laughs) thing I want is for you to feel, you know, bad about the way that you're engaging (laughs) with your life or your own social media. It can be a great platform, but I do want people to understand the impact of the dopamine and understand that if you feel not so great, after a couple of hours of staring at social media, it's <laughs> yeah. probably because you're getting a couple of dopamine hits and are stuck in this sense of anticipation, wondering what the hell's wrong with you. Right. Um, 
And that if you do go out into the world and choose to engage with folks from a vulnerable perspective and an altruistic perspective, you will get the same chemical cocktail and then some, and you'll actually feel better. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I mean, so I really hope that like the women are hearing this and I hope that it kind of, you know, lights a fire under them a little bit to kind of just step out a little bit, you know, and, and do what you're suggesting. Cause I just feel like it is just so easy to get stuck. And then I just think there's so many people who feel lonely and isolated and can't, they can't figure out how to get out of it, you know? And, um, I'm just curious though, too, like, how do you recommend helping like our kids and our friends that are feeling lonely when it's so easy for us to fall in that trap? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's awareness is the key to everything. You know, and and when I work with this stuff, it's not from a perspective of saying you need to do this or you need to do that. It's saying, hey, let's take a look at how our brains and bodies actually work. And kids are really smart. They're really resilient. So when I present this information to children, they get it. And it's important to tell them, you know, hey, these are tools that you have in life. And here's a healthy way to use it. Here's an unhealthy way to use it. Here's the way that you can use this technology and protect your brain. And here's the way that you can use this technology that might hurt your brain and empower them to make healthy choices and healthy decisions. Um, The other piece of it is to be really honest and talk with your families about the fact that this is curated. These are curated images. This doesn't represent what real life actually looks like. Real life is actually pretty boring most Mm -hmm. of the time. And to build that expectation that boring is okay. Boring is normal. Boring is natural and boring is good. And when you're looking at social media, what you're really seeing is somebody else's highlight reel. Yeah. Yep. Their best. Mm-hmm. Their best. Yeah. Their best moments. Not yeah. their boring moments. No. Nope. Just their best. Yeah. And I do think that's important. I think that's been a thing that has been hard for me just, you know, maybe in my adulthood is realizing that it's okay to be bored, you know, because I do think it's very easy, even, even without social media, I think it's very easy to tell yourself that everyone else is having more fun or they're just doing you know, more exciting things. And, and then you add social media to that component. And then you really feel like, wow, well, look at, they're doing this, they're traveling here, they're going here. Or, oh, look at these girls are going on girls trips. And man, they always do girls trips. And then you're like, I don't go on girls trips. And, you know, all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so easy to get sucked into that. It, it is. And it, it really comes down to this concept of currency. So, you know, when you're, you're working, you're working, when you're with your kids, you're with your kids, when you're, um, when you have nothing to do, most of us now default mm-hmm. towards going to social media because you're gaining likes, you're gaining social currency in this really weird, twisted way. Unfortunately, it really does mess with your brain and boredom is something that is required for deep thinking, creativity, new ideas, and to give your prefrontal cortex a rest so that you can choose what to focus on with intention. So from a coaching perspective for goal setting, I work with my clients to give their brains a break and actually get used to a feeling of boredom because that will help them in life more than anything else. I love that. Yeah. 
I think that's great. I think yeah. that's a good point to to say that because I do think it is so easy just to always default to social media when you have a down moment. It's just so easy to scroll, <laughs> scroll, scroll. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're almost at the end of the show. I, I just wondered if there was anything else that you wanted to touch base on before we end. Um, I know that you had in your talking points about, um, especially with teens and the phone triggers, um, the same chemicals as addiction. Is that, did we touch base on that already in regards to the serotonin and the, the, the dopamine, the dopamine yes. and it not like really, you know, coming to a full circle? Exactly. That that's it. And then also for for teenagers, especially one of the things that's, that's really important for parents to understand is that um, when we're talking about currency, when we're talking about the currency of likes and followers, the skill set that teenagers engage in, in order to gather up that currency mm. has really bad outcomes in real life. A lot of studies show that kids who are able to gain a lot of likes and a lot of followers in middle school and high school are actually bullied as a result mm. of it. And wow. then the social skills that it takes to maintain those followers and those likes have maladaptive behavioral outcomes at work. Those young folks are not able to work in teams. They're not able to exhibit leadership qualities. They're not able to take direction. Mm. So there's a big divide between reality and curated images. Do you have any thoughts on with studying all of this that, you know, a lot of the moms that listen to the show, their kids are young. So, um, you know, I do have moms that have kids that probably have phones and stuff like that already. But for the moms that don't, do you have any tips or advice that you would say, you know what, if you can really help them with this? this will help them, you know, later on that we may not really know to look out for. Be honest with your kids. Be honest with them. Explain that what they're looking at is the greatest hits of somebody else's life. Explain mm. that the quiet moments of reflection when you're snuggled up with a book and your favorite stuffed animal, that's just as good, if not more important as the fancy stuff. Mm. Explain that when somebody has a lot of likes or followers on social media, it doesn't actually mean that it's going to give them anything in real life and talk about what real incentive is, what real life strategy is, and how to go about authentic happiness. Mm, I love that. Well, Noelle, I appreciate you coming on the show today. It was very enlightening. And I feel like it's going to really inspire some moms out there to kind of just take a look at, you know, what they're doing with their life in regards to social media, but also outside of that and, you know, all the, you know, connections they're making or they're not making. And, um, they might start making some different decisions because of you. So I appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, it was my pleasure. And, you know, for your listeners out there, if you like this stuff, this is what life coach training is and it's really cool science. So you can always find me, come check it out. Um, I'd be happy to talk about it. Yes. I'm going to put all your, your info on the show notes so everybody can check you out. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, you guys, have you subscribed to the Mom Inspired Show email list yet? If you want to have discounts sent to your email and links to the books we discuss on the show, as well as all the guests information, then you will want to subscribe. 
That way, every episode will show up in your inbox every Tuesday, and you won't have to go searching for the newest episode. It will be right at your fingertips. So just go to mominspiredshow.com and scroll down and enter your name and email, and you will be all set. See you next week.